1: Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon.
2: Hayward, it's a line drive, base hit, right field. Contreras had to hold up. He's going to try to score. Here comes the throw to the plate, and Contreras is going to be out at the plate. That was a
1: very poor decision.
2: Fly ball, left field, it's deep, it's troubled. Back is Schwarber at the left field wall and that ball is going to be gone for a home run. Kipnis trying to keep the Cubs alive. Two down, last of the ninth inning. 2 nothing, Miami and the 2-2. Swing and a miss and the ball game is over and the Cubs' season comes to an end. There wasn't much
1: talking. It just feels d- different than,
0: you know, every other year where we get eliminated.
1: I don't know why. I don't have the answers for that. It, it's just a weird feeling. That's all I can really describe it as, but we battled. The Marlins were just better than us. Tip so your cap to them congratulations to them. It sucks, but here we are. We're here, which is great.
2: That one is hit well to left field. Sean Murphy can watch it, and we got a brand new ball game.
1: Two-run homer for the rookie catcher, Sean Murphy. From Foster. Way outside, ball four. Man, those last two pitches not anywhere close. The walk has tied the game. Three-one. Oh. Not close, ball four. He's walked in another run, and that's how the A's have gone ahead. Two outs in the ninth inning and a two ball, two strike count. Hendricks trying to dig deep.
3: Here's his
0: 2-2. Mazzara
2: takes strike three called.
1: We understand all hands on deck, but you cannot warm up your bullpen after the first bat. I mean, that, that instills no confidence throughout your lineup, throughout your pitching staff. This is a, a team that have scored so many runs. You can't say we're not going to score today. That's what it sounds like. We're not going to score today. It was just ugly. It was a disaster. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel.
0: Good evening, everybody. Good morning, depending on where you are. It is Sunday morning. It is one final Sunday morning to talk baseball. It is not the evening at all. (laughs) Man, it's just weird to be here, and I'm thrilled to be here for one more Sunday morning. I'd like to thank... Is it awkward to thank someone for getting um, the coronavirus? Yes, it, it probably is. So, I, I mean, through the, the odd bad fortune of Cam Newton and the New England Patriots, their game moved, then the Bears game moved, and that creates an opening here on Sunday morning. And I'm all too happy to step into the breach and talk baseball with you for one final time here in 2020. I want you to interact. I want you to call. want you to text and be involved. And there are big, big topics, understandably, on the table. There's heavy stuff to discuss. There is the the potential impending exit of Theo Epstein after his 10 year run, which should not be a surprise to anyone, frankly. And we will discuss that, of course. There is what to do with the Cubs' core, the offensive players, so many of whom become free agents after this next season. What are the problems with the offense? How do we shuffle and change things there? And who will be in charge of doing it? There's all of that to discuss. There's, there's, there's Ricky Renteria's future on the south side and who will be the manager of this White Sox team moving forward. There are several different... Potential free agents for both sides, but does anybody have money at all in an industry that lost upwards of $3 billion this year? Who among organizations will be willing to invest when it looks like limited capacity for next year and beyond? A ton of big questions to discuss, and we will talk about all of that. But also, at the top of the next hour, we're going to remind each other, we'll remind ourselves of some of the excellent things about 2020 baseball in this town because there were lots there were lots and i don't want the ugly exits on both sides of town to make us forget what was uh, uh, you know some surprising joy the fact that we had baseball at all We need to remember that we had that, and I've had a wonderful time talking about it with you, and I'm looking forward to doing it the rest of the morning. Peter Gammons, the legendary Hall of Fame baseball writer, will join us at 11 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, the 20 best things about the 2020 baseball season. But right now, let's dive in deep with the man I like to talk about the White Sox with more than anybody in this city, and one of the great baseball minds in this city for decades and decades now. Steve Stone joins us now on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. Good morning, Stony. Thank you for uh, one final visit for this baseball season with me, at least. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good, Matt. How are you?
0: I'm good. Uh, I'm good. It's a it's a beautiful and, and brisk morning, and I'm looking forward to playoff games this week. I think it's two on Monday, and then four on Tuesday, four on Wednesday, and uh, and onward from there as the postseason rolls on with with no off days. Um, let me ask you first about the White Sox season in perspective. What will you look back on most memorably uh, from from the entire year, not just the three game playoffs, which which we'll talk about? But when you look back on this year, what do you think is going to come to mind most memorably, Steve?
1: Well, I think number one, there's only three teams in the American League with uh, with better records than the White Sox had. I think that was that was certainly something that uh, they can hang their hat on. That's something to be proud of too. I I think that they saw a lot of their youngsters uh, come to the major leagues, some of them for the first time. Uh, Some of them were young. They weren't rookies. They weren't veterans. They were were young players who had some experience. I think you saw them take the next step forward. I I think, first of all, um, for the entirety of baseball, you have to congratulate the teams that made the playoffs and all the teams that made it through. I mean, they were some – extraordinary situations. I think one of the great stories is uh, is the Miami Ball Club and what they went through with COVID and the fact that they were pulling players from uh, everybody's waiver wire just to get enough guys to go on the field. I think when you take a look at this season, you'll realize how difficult it is for a lot of players. I mean, we'll never know the true effect of COVID on Moncada. I mean, that was a – Moncada not playing like he did last year was a very big loss for the White Sox this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Mazzara uh, just wasn't the same all year. There were a lot of guys maybe affected by it. We don't know exactly who they were. We don't know when they had it. Uh, Some of the guys might have even had it before they ever came to camp and got together. We don't really know that. But it was an extraordinary season. I I liked – I like the fact that Giolito could follow up a breakout year with essentially another breakout year. I like the fact that he established himself as, uh, as uh, a veteran presence, a guy that you can count on to win some big games at the top for you. So there were a lot of positives in this season. Uh, there were guys we saw we never thought we would saw. Let's see. Uh, Garrett Cochet was one of those guys. we probably never see him. I'm not sure if we see Foster. Um, except for what happened this year. So, uh, Hoyer was another guy that showed, you know, he can, he can really get it done. He's, he's a back end of the bullpen possibility. Um, so we saw a lot of things that were good. Uh, we'll take away a lot of uh, experiences from this year. A lot of guys got a chance to see Major League Baseball for the first time that would have never gotten a chance to see it. And we saw the development, the continued development of, of uh, Tim Anderson. I mean, he followed up what some people thought was a fluke with another fine season, a season that saw him contending for the MVP down maybe to the last 10 days when I think Jose probably took it away. And the season of Jose Abrea was magnificent. I think that people that know Jose weren't surprised at what he did. I think what they were surprised at was the improvement in his defense. It was really good this year. He was diving all over the field. I thought that was a wonderful situation for him.
0: Uh, agree <laughs> on, on, on all of that. I, I heard you on the score uh, the beginning of last week, Stoney, detailing how you'd go about a bullpen game for Game 3 of the mm-hmm. playoffs for the White Sox and kind of mapping it out. And then you know, we we have to deal with the national broadcasters. It's a it's a crime at the end of every baseball season. We say goodbye <laughs> to our fabulous local broadcast that we develop these relationships with, and then we have to listen to some guys and frankly some of them are out of town stupid during the course of a game and they just they just don't know the context of everything that they're watching. It's not even necessarily their fault. But so the bullpen game happens in a crazy way. I've had a few chances to talk about how I thought it played out. How did you think mm-hmm. the team how did you think the team and the staff handled that bullpen game? Uh,
1: I would have never I would never um, second-guessed it if I hadn't have, have laid it out to my thought process earlier. And what I felt was this. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, Tommy John is so prevalent now that we have a backlog of history on what happens to guys with Tommy John surgery. And we do know that they might come back very strong from it. Then five, six, seven, whatever it starts later, they go through a down period where the arm isn't quite there. What I said before the playoffs started was, if there is a third game, and of course nobody knew there was going to be, um, I would have gone with my top six relievers. And I wouldn't have used a starter at all because the starter you were going to use was Dane Dunning. My feeling was that Dane's arm, and, and he he gave us five really good starts, and then for me his arm started to show the effects of not pitching for the better part of 18 months, the 14-month rehab, and then the truncated spring training and everything that went with it. So when a guy with pinpoint control, and bear in mind that Dane Dunning has pinpoint control, had it up through our system, was noted as the guy with the best the best control in the system, and for a couple of games had no control whatsoever. He just couldn't hit his spots. That showed me that the arm was losing arm strength with, with every start, with every inning, with every pitch, and he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He showed that he could beat uh, major league teams, he could throw very well, and he could maintain his control. Then he started to lose it. He wouldn't be the guy that I started, and the reason is that if I wanted, just as a as, as, a, as a choice, if I wanted to start with crochet I would have given him the proper amount of warm-up uh, let him start with a clean inning give him a warm-up because he was a starting pitcher his whole life it's a lot like Carlos Rodin there is a lot of people that believe that it's interchangeable. You take a starting pitcher you move into bullpen everything's going to be fine I, I think that Dallas Keuchel said it right after Cleveland and Dallas said that uh, we are starting pitchers for a reason they are relievers for a reason I don't think necessarily it's interchangeable. Now some guys do it better than others, but I think the first time you're asked to do it, I think it's really difficult. And we saw that play out a couple of different times. So I am hoping that forearm stiffness of crochet doesn't mean that, um, uh, he's going to have any further problems with it. Uh, but I would have given him a clean inning. I would have started him in that ball game let them try to pitch the two innings or two in the third or whatever it is. And then I would use a succession of relievers on through. I think you saw exactly what I was talking about just a few days later when you saw San Diego use nine pitchers in that Mm ballgame. And they started with a reliever, Stamen, and they went on through. And uh, obviously it worked out really well. They beat St. Louis. And I'm not saying we could have have beaten um, Oakland with that philosophy. I just know that for me – Dane Dunning didn't have anything left at the end of that season, and I was uh, I was a little surprised. I wasn't surprised at the early exit, by the way. I was surprised that he started the game.
0: Stony, do managers get a chance to grow like players do? Should should they get a chance to grow like players do? If they have other skill sets that they bring to the table, but we wonder about some some things. Uh, how, do, how do how should organizations think about stuff like that?
1: Well, I, I think you know. Matt, look, what's gonna happen? What's happening now all over baseball? Uh the Phillies just lost their general manager, by the way. He's stepping down, being reassigned to another to another spot, which mm-hmm. means quite obviously, you know, we're looking for another guy because we didn't make the playoffs in the five years you were here. Uh but uh that's them and, and that's not the only one that's gonna go down because every every team is evaluating all of their personnel. Um, their personnel on the field their personnel in the dugout, their personnel in the front office. Everybody gets evaluated after a season when you do a breakdown of the season, what went right, what went wrong. you got 30 managers in baseball. Um, and you your, your premise, your question was right, yes. Um, do they get a chance to learn? Sure they do. Uh, especially if you have a first-year manager, he's going to learn. Uh, for instance, I think David Ross is going to be a very good manager down the road, but I think he had challenges this year, as every first-year manager does um but what happens is this with 30 managers in baseball, what we have, we've got maybe, I don't know. I, I, I won't be specific, but there's maybe five managers in baseball. They're wonderful managers from 11 o'clock at night to seven o'clock the next night. I mean, wonderful. They handle people exceedingly well. They know exactly how to get the best out of certain guys and other guys, maybe not so much, but, They're great managers from 11 o'clock at night to 7 the next night. Their weaknesses come from 7 o'clock the next night to 11 o'clock. So, you know, I talked about, I I talked about the fact that some teams down the road might use two pitching coaches, one a mind guy and then one a mechanical guy because the job is getting too big. Mm -hmm. The job of major league manager for a lot of, a lot of people is a very big manager because of what you have to do. You have, You have uh, the press obligations. You have front office interaction. You have analytics, which is getting bigger and bigger every year. You have uh, just the knowledge of the game. And there's so many aspects of the game that some guys are really good at dealing with people, and they're not quite as good uh, when it comes to the X's and O's, when it comes to the feeling of it. Number one, you know, everybody knows the same thing. The handling of the bullpen is what separates the men from the boys in baseball, The guys who handle it well are the guys who consistently are rated as the best managers around. Uh, We ran into one in the first round, uh, Bob Melvin, a wonderful manager. He's been good for a long time. This is not his first rodeo. I mean, he's been managing a while. So he understands, I think, exactly what to do, and there's a great combination of respect from his players, but also um, they know that uh, they are not going to get outmanaged by everybody. They could get outplayed. They're just not going to get outmanaged. And so I think that maybe maybe we'll get to the point where that happens. You'll have a technician who knows how to run a game exceptionally well. You'll have another guy who knows how to deal with personalities exceptionally well. Maybe you'll have a a, a two-headed managerial situation down the road. I don't know exactly where it's going, but I think that's, that's certainly a possibility. But I do know that um, uh, managers are allowed to grow. It's just when they evaluate... Uh, can we go to the next level? Is this the guy? They're going to make really difficult decisions. And some of the things that they'll look at, just you know, uh, in the interest of time, they're going to look at the handling of the bullpen. That's going to be paramount. You either can handle it or you can't. If you can't, it makes for a tough season. Then watch some of the way your team executes. Watch how they execute. um, And I'm not talking about using a hit and run or a bunt. That's just one thing. I'm, I'm talking about rundowns. Let's take a look at rundowns. That's very important. Um, you know, you have your cutoff plays. Certainly that's something that you have to execute well, but also rundowns are imperative. How does your team execute rundowns? That shows you a manager who pays strict attention to detail and one who lets a couple of things slide. And these, are, these go into the evaluation process of every manager all over baseball. And the decision then lies in the hands of either the president of baseball ops or the general manager. They'll make those decisions, and the Sox are no exception.
0: I, I just, just my gut feeling is that after a year like this, where mm-hmm. it's so, so bizarre and so many unique challenges, and the showing is largely outstanding by the White Sox. I, I, mm-hmm. I've been thinking that Ricky Renteria is going to be given a full year um, under more normal circumstances in which to to show he can or cannot get them over you know a theoretical hump to the next level do you, do you have anything any inside intel that would disagree with that at this point
1: no I, I i really don't i know he has one more year left on his contract i don't know exactly how it's going to play out and when when the decision is made um one way or the other, the decision is made. You're either not going to hear anything or you're going to hear that, uh, you know, they're going to go in a different direction, and I don't know which way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I do know that there were so many positives that came out of this season, and we'll have to see um, exactly if the negatives outweigh the positives. I do know that the team next year is going to be better than it was this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that because I, I think that uh, they realize that um, – I don't think they can hit a guy fourth and fifth uh, every day that hits 157. I just don't see a whole lot of, a whole lot of that for next year. I I don't know if you're going to have a corner outfielder and you can look around baseball, see if you have a corner outfielder that hit a one home run this year. I I don't know if you can start that guy every day again, you know, who knows? Uh, But I, I think that that will be an improved position and you know, there's, There's a number of things that will have to change, and maybe it changes with the personnel. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they've got to make some decisions on what went right, what went wrong. You look at the team because this team has to take the next step forward, and they have to do it knowing that um, uh, this division is still going to be there. You You take one game in Cleveland, just one game, and the White Sox win the division. I mean, that's all it would have taken, one of four. As it turned out, you know, you don't know how it's going to turn out, but as it turned out, that's the case. So, um, look, uh, if Ricky comes back, he's going to come back with a much better team than he, come, than he has this year. And then, and then we'll see. We'll see how he handles those guys. And, you know, sometimes there was an intractable lineup. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, you're going to have to make some changes based on if a guy is hot or if he's not, or don't hit him in a spot because you've hit him in the spot and you know that's those mm-hmm. are some things that um uh every team had a problem with. I mean there was some there was some wonderful players that didn't hit much this year. Mm-hmm. Uh and you don't you have no idea why. Sometimes the whole magnitude of covid and their family life weighed on them so much and the stress just got to them whatever it was. I'm hoping you're hoping every baseball fan is hoping for a normal year next year. <laughs> have a normal year, have some fans, maybe not maybe not an entire stadium full, but have some fans play 162 and then judge the teams, see who's good, who's not. But, um, uh, the White Sox are on, they're on the cusp of some very exciting baseball. And, uh, personally, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. A few experiments for going into the season worked and some did not. You referenced a couple and, and I think some of them will be easy to get away from and, 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 and move on uh, contractually. Uh, I wonder about this because I I didn't mind them standing pat at the deadline and not adding a veteran starter. Maybe I was wrong, but looking ahead to the future, do you go in with cease Dunning Kopech as your three, four, five in whatever order next year, or do you need to add a veteran starter to take the pressure off those kids a bit?
1: Well, look, I, I think that um, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are sitting and looking right now who's available. Um, Who's available as, one, a free agent? Who is available as, two, we can make a deal for? And if we can make a deal for somebody, um, what's it going to cost us? I think what you saw at the deadline was a team that realized that it was maybe a little short this year and didn't want to take a farm system that was carefully put together and starting to come to fruition, break that up on a guy that wasn't going to be here all that long. I mean, the asking price for guys got... Absolutely ridiculous. Um, uh, Clevenger. And look, look what happened. San Diego made it despite the fact that they trade six guys for Clevenger, and he can't pitch hardly at all for them because he hurts his arm. That's the gamble you take. And I don't think that uh, that Rick and Kenny were willing to trade two or three, maybe four pieces of their farm system, guys that they had slowly brought along, got from other places mostly, or young players that they developed, and then traded him for, let's say, Lance Lynn. I mean, when, when Clevenger was traded, the price for Lance Lynn became extraordinary. Everybody mm-hmm. says he would have been great because he throws very well against Oakland. Yeah, very well, very well could have been. However, the price was, was ridiculous. And now, I think the price gets a little bit more realistic. And the reason is, if you can take on a little money, you can be surprised who's going to be available because there's going to be a lot of teams that are looking to shed payroll. Hmm. And I think most major league teams now, Matt, are getting to the point where they're looking how to take 30% off their off their bottom line as far as salary is concerned. That's that includes front office, that includes that includes players, that includes scouts, that includes everybody. Take 30% off what their expenditures were because looking ahead, you'd like to say that the future is bright. I think the future is bright for baseball. I think it's going to be very uncertain going into this next season, and I know teams are preparing for it. When you see the St. Louis Cardinals start to divest themselves of scouting people and front office people and a number of other things, the way they've built their organization over the years, you know that there's going to be a ripple effect on just about every team out there. And so, yeah, I mean, for free agents, uh, I think the big money days for free agents, and I'm talking about you know the Machado contracts, the uh, the Harper contracts. I don't think they're going to see too many of them. And you're going to see a lot of guys signing those one-year contracts, uh, a contract like Guriel signed. Um, He might have been able to get a huge contract, but he took a look at the landscape and said, you know what, I like it here, I'll sign a one-year contract and hope for better things in the next year. I think that's something you're going to see going into next year. You're going to see that this winter
0: yeah the years of uh, of being able to bank on a certain amount of organizational income four years from now five years from now seem to be gone um Last thing for you stony I, sure. I i i don 't like um this many damn teams in in the playoffs um there has been a Costas slash Reinsdorf plan that's percolated that I like, which has four wild cards in each league and they play each other in a little mini tournament. One person, one team emerges from that. And then they join the other three division winners. That's one shorthand of it. Uh, so that's seven per side. What, what have you heard? What would you like to see going? I through?
1: think it's going to be 14 teams. That's what I think. I don't know if necessarily it's going to be the, uh, the Jerry Reinsdorf plan, I like the idea of 14 teams. Uh, that sounds, uh, this is, the, honestly, this is the first that I've heard of that, but it's um, it sounds good to me. I mean, I think you should have um, some sort of a reward for winning. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you win your division, you should be rewarded for it. Uh, I think one of the things to bear in mind, and bear this in mind, is um, eventually they're going to try to set up to have a uh, to have a system that's going to allow for two more expansion teams. They're going they're going to get to 32 teams. You're going to see 16 in each league. And when that happens, you're going to see four four team divisions. And you're going to see in my estimation geographical realignment. So you're going to keep the travel down. That's number 1, number 2. Uh, with four team divisions instead of five, you're going to make it a little easier to win the division. Then they'll work that out. But in the meantime, as they're waiting for expansion, and the reason I say there's going to be expansion sooner than they wanted is that you mentioned how much baseball lost last year in revenues. Hmm. Baseball realizes that if you do expand, it's anywhere from from $2.5 billion to $3 billion for expansion fees uh, combined with the two expansion teams, which means... That let's, let's call it just for sake of uh, round numbers, let's call it $3 billion, 30 teams. It's $100 million per team. That goes a long way to getting them back whole to where they were through all of these financial downturns. And I think that's why it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So when that happens, the face of baseball is going to change. But in lieu of that, um, 14 teams seems to me about the, the proper thing. That way, the teams that win their division – they get a bonus. They don't play in that first round as a wild card. Have their whatever it is they're going to have, you know, have their uh, their playoff, and uh, you emerge from that, and uh, you know you go on and you play the division winners. At least that really puts that that emphasis on winning the division. Then we'll see some teams really bear down toward the end. I, I think sixteen teams was nice for this year. I think it's a little unwieldy overall. It rewards some teams that are under five hundred. I don't think baseball really wants to see that again and uh, and so we'll see how it plays out
0: stoney um thank you so much for the time today uh was a blast to hear you and jason all year long and and looking forward to uh to more of it in what should be an exciting white Sox future for the next four five six years i don't know should be a pretty cool window
1: i think it's going to be I, I think it's going to be really good times ahead for the Sox, and uh we look forward to it. Jason and I both had just a wonderful time this year. It was, it was an interesting year of baseball, and uh, <clears throat> it was one of those things that I hope we're able to talk to people down the road about but never have to repeat.
0: <laughs> I'm with you, absolutely. <laughs> All right, man, have a great day. Thanks, Steve. Okay, man, take care. Bye. You got it. That's Steve Stone joining us right here on 670 The Score. Let us never repeat this. All right, a lot to chew on for you White Sox fans. We are open for calls and interaction all morning long. This is Hit and Run. Bears pregame starts at noon today. I'm Matt Spiegel. I'm here with you until noon. Peter Gammons later on. Lots of Cubs topics later on. But if you're a Sox fan and want to react to that, do it now at 312-644-6767. That's the number with which to both call and text in to 670 the score.
1: Hit and Run, Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. to noon on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station.
0: You are indeed listening to Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. Thank you to Jordan Maley for waking up and producing today. Sean Anderson, the phenom, off today. Jordan was expecting to do NFL pregame, but he's here right now. This segment on Hit and Run is being brought to you by Valparaiso University, the satisfaction that comes with living to your full potential is immeasurable. It's a quality of life that Valparaiso University graduates enjoy every day. At Valpo, your full potential receives our total commitment. Visit valpo.edu to request information, apply, or schedule a visit. Good visit with Steve Stone we just had. 312-644-6767 is the phone number to talk With me, Matt Spiegel, here on Hit and Run. Several texters getting in, but first, let's go to the phone lines. Paul is in the loop, not far from me, here in the South Loop, and wants to talk some White Sox. Good morning, Paul. How are you?
3: Hey, good morning. I'm fine. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you.
3: I'm going up and down the dial looking for football, and all of a sudden I hear Steve Stone, and I don't change the dial when that happens. He's the smartest guy in baseball.
0: Um, Uh, Well, I'm personally offended by that because, you know. uh, But no, yeah.
3: Number number two.
0: I'll take it. I'll take it. Go ahead.
3: The Sachs won't win with Renteria for this reason. He knows how to lose. You can breed a losing culture. He always does just enough to lose, and he seems complacent about it. And that can really fester in the locker room and you make these kids, all oh, we lost, but that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. Well, that only goes so far. That's why the Cubs booted him as soon as they could. And I know Madden was available and all that. But like I said, Ricky just does enough to lose. Baseball's about putting you in a position to win. It's chess, not checkers. I know Crochet went down with a bad arm and that hurt him. He wanted to use him for two or three innings you got to be prepared. Good luck is the residue of preparation. Ricky doesn't seem to be prepared. He just does enough to lose. That's how I look at it.
0: Thanks, Paul. I appreciate the call. He's had so many losing years, his Renteria. This was the year for him to show you what he's got. And there were some good things. He bunted a lot less. Um, He... He... (laughs) He moved guys around in the lineup in a way that made intuitive sense more than ever. Although there were still moments and times that drove you absolutely bananas. And Stoney alluded to one Encarnacion hitting four or five all year long when it was incredibly clear that he could not get around on a fastball, just could not get around. So everybody knew it. And yet he was still there. And there was a comment from Renteria towards the end of the year saying that he deserves Uh, Chances that Encarnacion deserves chances. And you were afraid that you were going to see him in the playoffs every day. And you did not. And uh, that's good. Although I think that Eloy's um, reduction to D.H. and not outfielder was a necessity that helped that decision get made. You know, they've got a lot of veteran players now who talk about ways to win and learning how to win. I, I so I don't I I don't know that I can agree with that as as a broadside that that the caller just brought up. I'll say this though, the biggest deal, and Stoney referred to this as well, the number one deal now for managers, and maybe it always was, but it's even more crystal clear now, is managing your bullpen, knowing pitchers, knowing pitching, okay. This is why so many former catchers like Bob Melvin or David Ross or Joe Girardi or all these guys, you got to be in the head of the pitchers. You got to understand what makes them comfortable. Garrett Crochet is a lifetime starter, not a reliever, used this year as a reliever. Understandably so, just like Chris Sale was, just like we've seen a lot of people use. But notice that every regular season appearance was a clean inning, every single one. And when does he come into the playoffs? In this bizarre first and third two-out situation when you've pulled Dane Dunning. I I said it immediately after the game and during the game. If you're not going to let Dane Dunning get out of a situation like that, then don't start him. Don't start him. I I think that threw the entire thing off. And I think Garrett Crochet is not a guy who who should be brought in in the middle of an inning. I'm not saying it's why he got hurt. But Crochet should have been allowed to either start that game, if that's what you want to do, try to get two innings out of him or more or whatever, but let him start, or bring in somebody else to relieve Dunning and then have Crochet start a clean inning after that. It just, it just didn't make a lick of sense. I don't think Ricky knows pitchers well enough. And I don't know if, if he and Don Cooper have a great working relationship if Coop is the guy making those bullpen calls in I don't I don't know but man that is everything and I want a guy who knows pitching really well and if he doesn't know pitching really well then you better have somebody in the front office who knows pitching really well and then they need to instruct that manager and guide him through his paces 3126446767 texters getting in uh ricky seems like a nice guy but from a managerial perspective i say good riddance there's a, there's a lot of people there's a lot of people out there I've, I've heard from that he is he's more than a nice guy he's a terrific atmosphere provider he's been a boon a friend a supporter a developer of many many good young players and you better be convinced that they're going to produce at the same level that they're going to feel just as comfortable If you change managers, you better be convinced of that. You better talk to a few of them before you do anything if you're going to do something. And that can be tricky. But we know that the Sox did that, right? At the trade deadline, they talked to some players about what they thought the team needed. So I like that. I like that approach. I think it's smart. Let's uh, squeeze in one more call before we break. David is in Peru on 670, the score. Hello, David. Welcome in.
1: Good morning.
2: I agree with your analysis. Um, And Ricky's teams were not good in the rundown. No. Uh, No. Eddie and Stone thought Abreu should bat third. You get your best hitter up right away in the game. Yep. And Ricky, I don't know why he pinch hit Zach Collins in the playoffs. He hadn't hit for two months. And the other thing is Ricky pitched his bullpen until they went on the disabled list. If they did a good job, he pitched them until their arm was hurt. And that was obvious the whole, I mean, you followed them too. You know what I mean.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. using
2: Cordero every other day, no wonder he wasn't so good sometimes. I don't, He was a horrible manager of his bullpen. He was lucky. he And, and bummer, he pitched him till he went up. Anyhow, that's my frustration. I'm going to miss you guys on Sunday morning, and I hope Bonetti and Stone are back next year because I think they're the best in baseball. And thanks for doing such a great job all year.
0: David, thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks for being a part of the the action on Sunday mornings. And that's to all of you. I just you know, it's it's an honor and a thrill, frankly, to get to talk baseball in a two team town like this when both of them are so interesting. I knew this year they were both going to be so interesting and they were and they still are. This offseason is going to be fascinating. I'll be with Bruce Levine every Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse. And um, obviously, uh, from time to time with Danny Parkins in the afternoons and and maybe more along the way. Been there the last couple of weeks, not this week, but uh, we'll see what happens after that. But um, my God, it's just been such a pleasure to talk with you guys. Uh, Texts at 312 644 6767, collecting them. We'll share them. Uh, Coming up later on, a reminder of something we've known about Theo Epstein's perspective since the moment he got here. We've known it forever. And all of a sudden, yesterday, it's treated as something new. But we've known it forever. If we have time to do that next, we will. If not, we'll do it later. Peter Gammons at 11. At the top of the next hour, the 20 best things about Chicago baseball in 2020. We'll go through them with audio support on Hit and Run right here on 670,
1: the score. The premier baseball show in Chicago Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel.
0: back in on 670 to score hope everyone's good on a sunday morning so the news broke yesterday uh was it news i'm sure was treated as news that uh theo epstein has one year to go on his contract and that he and tom ricketts are going to talk about his future this week is, is that news that the baseball boss and the owner would meet to talk about things uh, after the year is that news um, no, um, is the possibility of Theo leaving if that's on the table of Theo leaving to help uh, make the transition smoother? Would that be news? Yeah, that would be news. But I don't think that's going to happen. And neither did the news report think that that was going to happen. They just threw it out there as something that could possibly get discussed. Look, um, whenever we have talked about the Cubs core and things needing to be figured out and people needing to stay or go by the end of 2021 Theo's been a part of those conversations here and everywhere and the only thing that has changed is what what I think he wants to leave this team as when he is done and I say that in this way I kind of had an image for a while of them just burning everything they could through 2021, going for as many shots as they could, and then leaving with the team in kind of roster trouble or that kind of thing. But I think it's clear that what Tom Ricketts wants is the team to be competitive for years to come, wants it to stay competitive. He has said as much. He disagreed with the idea of a winning window, that he thinks the team should be competitive every year. And that's what he wants. And that's what he needs from a business perspective. And that's his goal. And some organizations can do it. Some organizations can be very smart, frugal when they need to be, rebuild or restock, I should say, on the fly and get it done. That's why this offseason is going to be so fascinating, because that's clearly the goal, not to fall off the table into the abyss the way that the, uh, the Phillies did after the Rollins and Ryan Howard years. Then had to build it back up. I want to take you back, though, to Theo Epstein's opening press conference here in Chicago. The question was asked by our David Schuster. Hi, Shu. Good morning, Shu. Hope you're good at the time. Um, hope you're good now. But he was our David Schuster at the time. But anyway, he was he asked him about, you know, how long might he want to stay? This is this is 2011. Right. It's the winter or the late fall of 2011. After Theo was seen on Yom Kippur in the Starbucks. <laughs> um, but, you know, talking about how long you should stay at places. And he referenced Bill Walsh. And this was Theo from then, 2011, on the life cycle of a sports executive.
1: You know, I mentioned it uh, in the article this morning. And I, I cited Bill Walsh, who um, is, you know, widely respected. And he had this theory, and others have had the same theory that. Uh, after about 10 years in sports, uh, it reaches a time where you kind of need a new vision for the organization, and where a coach or an executive maybe needs a new a new challenge, a new landscape to, to apply his own, his own principles. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's an across-the-board rule. It actually applies to other high-pressure jobs as well. If you look at university presidents, for example, usually their peak effectiveness is for the first decade on the job, and after that they either move on or lose effectiveness. So... Um, We got we got a lot we can do and a lot we can accomplish in the next 10 years if uh, if that repeats itself. But I'm I'm really happy to be a Cub and looking forward to being a Cub for a long time.
0: It's been a pretty amazing 10 years or nine at this point, hasn't it? It really has. It's been the uh, the the most postseason trips by a Cubs organization in in these last five years. Of uh, of any era of Cubs baseball, they won one title. I mean, three straight NLCS's and have not gotten back to the World Series. Is it over? No, it's not quite over, but it's I, I, I know that he wanted more and I know that you wanted more. But understand, that was the thought process all along that the life cycle would likely be 10 years. So we enter the 10th year right now. I will be surprised if Theo is here. I always was going to be surprised if Theo was here in 2022. I'd also be surprised if he has a job in baseball in 2022. That's just my gut. I think he's ready for a new challenge in life, but I, you know, I don't know for sure, of course, but we'll see. Let's squeeze in a phone call on the Cubs' core before we hit the top of the hour. This is Tom in Downers Grove. Tom, you're on Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel, on the score. Good morning.
2: Okay. Good morning. Hey, I just had a quick question about the core. I, two years ago, I thought some of these guys should have been traded, and none of them signed their extensions. And I'm just wondering if all of them have earned their way down to about a 40% haircut on their salaries moving forward. Who's signing these guys? I mean, do the Reds want to pay Chris Bryant $250, $300 million for a guy who's injured 30% of the season and hits 240 whatever he's hitting? I mean, I don't know what he's hitting, but he's been terrible for two years. Hobby, not great this year, not great last year. Contreras, Schwarber even. I feel like the Cubs have held on too long to their chips and haven't gotten younger. And those guys, are you giving them eight years, 250, 300? Are you giving them a, a Mike Trout contract? I mean, no,
0: no, I'm not. Thank you, Tom. Um, a very, very special player in Mookie Betts got that contract from the Dodgers in the in, in a version of the current financial climate. The Dodgers have unlimited money it's it's a different situation the Cubs do not have unlimited money the Cubs are one of the organizations that count on day of game revenue more than just about anybody in baseball and they bank on it and you're not going to be able to bank on that for all of next year and who knows after that the virus is not going anywhere unfortunately life is not going to just snap a finger and and go back to normal in terms of the players themselves did they wait too long? It depends how much weight that other front offices are going to give the 2020 season. Bryant was hurt and awful. Baez regressed offensively in, in uncomfortable ways. Does Baez wish he signed an extension that he and the Cubs were talking about? Six years, 150 mil, something like that? Maybe. Bryant, the game plan has always been for he and Scott Boris to stretch this out. He made $18 million uh, prorated uh, this, this year. And his arbitration number is going to be very high again for next year. The game plan has always been to wait and then sign that big deal, just like Bryce Harper did. Harper got his money. I don't know if Bryant will. I don't know. I think, um, I think he, may have, he may have played his value down. I'll say this. In an odd way, I think he's glad he gets one more year to prove it and one more year for the financial climate to improve. So the service time, uh, grievance, and all of that. Can you imagine if Bryant was a free agent right now? He would certainly be looking at a short, like, one-year prove-it deal or something like that, like Marcelo Zunas signed, like Josh Donaldson signed last year. That's what Bryant would be looking at. As it stands, he's got one more year to reestablish value. I definitely think it will start here with the Cubs. By the time the deadline comes along, I don't know. 670 the score is where you are it's matt spiegel here with you on hit and run peter gammon's in about an hour lots more room for your phone calls and texts at 312-644-6767 when we come back though let's smile just a little bit shall we can we the 20 best things about chicago baseball in 2020 we'll do that next on hit and run on the score
2: listen to every mlb game live the deep left center field it is high it is far it is god